The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that educates new and experienced gamers about the joys of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Green Team Wins, our Game of the Week, discuss when a game becomes too much in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with our high five games that need to be reprinted. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, the esteemed Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael? What's happening, Doug? How are you? I am fantastic. Ready to talk uh, another week talking about games as we uh, careen closer and closer to Gen Con. Yeah, it's coming up, isn't it? It is right around the corner. I'm super excited for that. So that is awesome in gaming. Yeah. Before we get into what's awesome in gaming, Michael, do you have anything to follow up from, from any of our past episodes? Well, I do. You know, two episodes ago, we <clears throat> interviewed the Family Gamers, and they just very recently celebrated uh, a milestone, episode 350. And I listen to their episode every week. And so one thing to just follow up on with our listeners, that announcement, that was breaking news. I had no idea that they were going from a weekly podcast to an every other week podcast. And so when they announced that in our interview, I, I was a little shocked. And just want to say a big congratulations to Andrew and Anitra on the milestone of episode 350 and also the decision for going to an every other week format. I think it's really smart when you when you hear their logic and their rationale. We got a really nice compliment at the 23 minute mark of that episode where they said that, you know, if if you want to listen to an hour plus of meandering about family board games, we're a great choice. And <laughs> I played that. My kids laughed so hard when they heard that in the car. We were doing an ice cream adventure coming out to Culver's, when, and I was listening to the episode, and that came on. They they just let me have it. They loved it. Um, so, again, just big thank you to Andrew and Anitra for coming on um, to, to our show recently, and a, a big-time congratulations uh, to both of them. I'll say congratulations are in order. 350 episodes. Yowzers, we're yeah. at a one, 129. I feel like we've been doing this for 40 years. Oh, well, thanks, Doug. <laughs> no, you just have to see my face every week. We've committed to that. Uh, and, and we do it in person. And, and yeah, you're, we're, we're stuck together here at the Game Score <laughs> Podcast. I have one other thing to follow up on, but yeah. I could save it for no, future episodes. I've got to come clean, Doug. You know, last week I talked about playing Catan because we're, we're we're off a few weeks here. We're recording in advance. We've got travel. I'm traveling for business and family. You're traveling for family. I did not get Catan 3. You're a liar. I You're know, liar. and I feel bad, so I, I have to come clean. And, and, and so that I can reconcile with our listeners here, it's still in the shrink. Um, <laughs> and here's why. We went to this lodge, I'm using air quotes, a hunting lodge and retreat center. Not a big hunter, but man, do I love a zip line and you're, a pond. You're, a, you're more uh, yeah. of a retreater. I'm more of a retreater <laughs> and eater by the fire. -er. Um, it did a lot of eating, a lot of swimming, uh, and I have the location picked out 
for the Game Schooler Podcast Retreat. All right, well, don't I, make any commitments. I said commitments. I was going <laughs> to throw a curveball to you. No, but I've got this idea, I, I think, in 2025-ish, because it's going to take some planning and some time, and we need a sponsor. So whether it's <laughs> the op or all play, one, one of our friends need to throw us about 10000 bucks. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Nothing and then, crazy. And then our, our listeners, I mean, I think we can accommodate about 50 people total there. My uh, in-laws have approximately 60 to 62. I don't know. There are more kids walking all the time. Like, holy cow, who are you? Who are you? But it held all of us. And uh, it was just an incredible place where... You know, you could do everything from shooting firearms at objects that are thrown in the air. I believe they call that trap shooting, to riding e-bikes and ATVs and swimming and talk about the board gaming space, Doug. It was an unbelievable setting. Just, so, just not a good enough space for Catan. Uh, well, we, there was just too much other stuff to do. We were only there for, you know, two, two nights, two and a half days. Checkout was at 10 a.m. I thought for sure we were going to play Catan. But uh, no, I was running around chasing kids, having fun, and I did not get Catan played. However, uh, when we have the Game Schooler podcast retreat there, I, I think I'll have to lead that. All right. So, so, so we're looking for a sponsor for $10,000. Yep. And look out in 2024 for our Jerry Lewis telethon as we raise funds for Absolutely. this as well. <laughs> because uh, we would get the whole site. I'm thinking, you know, two nights, two and a half days. Um, and then you get this 400 acre retreat that would just be ours. And there's a little gate where you punch in the code and sliding door, <laughs> like you're in a post-apocalyptic show on HBO. Um, and then you go in and play board games. But here's the thing. There's other things for family people to do too. You can swim, you can get out in nature, you can ride some e-bikes and they can go do all that stuff while we play board games. Yeah. Doesn't that sound perfect? Sounds so, perfect. Told you I was throwing you a curveball. All right. Um, so on to what's awesome in gaming. The uh, I recently acquired the <clears throat> In the Footsteps of Darwin, which I'm really interested in playing it, especially after having played another Darwin-themed game that was on the total opposite end of the spectrum of complexity. But while I was punching that game out, it reminded me of something, and I don't know if we've ever shared this tip in, in the podcast before, but if not, it bears repeating. So in a lot of games that have a, a sheet of punch-out tokens yep. and things like that, you can actually tuck those under your insert. So don't throw, throw away the, the card that they came on. You take that and shove it under the insert, and it pushes everything back up to how it originally was when you got it in the box. Um, so if you're somebody that stores your games vertically, it keeps that keeps that, it flush that space in there. Um, and it was a I don't know a trick I learned several years ago. And then when I I learned that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing because so many times you throw those away, and now you have a three you know a, a one inch gap at the top of your box that then all the components are flying all Rattling over the place. Around. Yeah. So a pro tip out there. Uh, you don't always have to throw those away. You can shove them under the insert, and it raises everything up, and it's awesome. And I, I just think that that is a small, minuscule thing that is awesome that's in gaming. That's a victory. That, yeah. That's a good tip, Doug. That's really good. How about you? What else is got anything else in awesome in gaming? I'm going to save it for our next episodes, uh, or I'm sorry, our next segments. Um, I... Uh, just got done playing the game of the week as a family, <laughs> and so I'll save that for uh, what's coming up next. 
Uh, but there's just a lot of... So I noticed this last summer, and I made a note of it. People clear out their games this time of year to get ready for new games. Oh, sure. And so we've come out of a season where there were absolutely crazy sales. Yeah. And um, there's just a lot of opportunities to get games on the secondary market or even for sale from Amazon and Target and some of those other places. So not that that's awesome to go out there and just consume, consume, consume games, but I've had a lot of friends reach out to me lately and say, hey, I picked up Juicy Fruits or I picked up um, you know, uh, Seven Wonders Architects, a game that they've heard us talk about on yeah. a podcast episode and not in the last two weeks. And I'm looking back at our at our list and like, yeah, we talked about that a year ago. We talked about that a yeah. year and a half ago. So it's nice to see that sometimes when people are clearing out games, that then other people are able to get those games at a really reasonable price. Yeah, I think like Amazon, uh, not Amazon, but I was, Walmart is, everybody's kind of going through a, a a clean out for fall and, and holiday season. And I walked through a, a couple of Walmarts where Azul was $17. Yeah. Wingspan was 25 Raccoon Tycoon was 14 I almost we, picked up three of them just for gifts. Just to, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of insane. And I think that it, it's interesting that when you bring that up, that there's the, the thing of like, oh, the, you know, we talked about fancy games. We talked about our, you know, prize jewels of our collection yeah. and stuff in an episode. And and I'm sure some people could take that as like, oh, well, it must be nice. You have that. You can pay for that or whatever. Jerks. But the people, you know, that, that common criticism, like, oh, games are getting more expensive. Games are getting this. It's, you know, kicking people out of the hobby. It's like, there are still good deals to be found. And I just don't buy that anymore. When you can pick up a game like Raccoon Tycoon, now, are, are you getting it the exact moment you want to play it, the time that you want to play it? No, but if you stick around and hang out and just acquire stuff at a, a leisurely pace, the fact that you could get that game for $15 yeah. is crazy. Yeah. You know, that's I, I can barely eat myself at Culver's for $15. No, no. You know, so... You know, when you're you're comparing it to other things that people are spending their money on, there's no way I can go to a movie for fifteen dollars anymore. Things like that. I went I took I took my kids to a movie on a Saturday morning when they were playing a rerun show for three dollars a ticket. And after I got popcorn, it was still a forty dollar experience. <laughs> so it's like they're gonna get you. Yeah, but how many trips? Unlimited trips, right? I'll take advantage of that popcorn. Well, the, the sir, bucket was as big as this sir, table. I didn't need to refill it. Are you really coming back for a third time with those two small children? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, that's great. And the the to just put a bow on that with what's awesome, I have been acquiring so games at such a different rate than when I was in my new gamer enthusiasm. So the other day, a box came in the mail from Target. And kids were like, what is this? What is this? What is this? And when I opened it up, it was that Sushi Go dim sum game from Game Right. Yeah. And I completely threw one of our listeners under the bus. I said, no, this was recommended to me by by somebody <laughs> on our Discord. I, I almost have to try this because I told him I would. So that's the first time where our Discord channel has been used as an excuse for my oh, purchases. Good. So uh, thank you, dear dear more techs out there on yeah, our Discord. Th- thanks for enabling Michael and his, <laughs> his acquisition problem. Yep. But a great segue to talk about the Discord server. 
server. Uh, if you like what we're talking about and and family games, gamer games, uh, how you can use games in a in a school setting, head on over to the Game Schooler Discord. There is a a sign up on our website, gameschooler.com slash discord. I kind of describe it as a, a cross between a group text and a forum. Uh, and so great conversations. We had uh, uh, publisher John Spike came in the other day, asked a question. Andrew and Anitra from Family Gamers have come in and asked questions and, and people throwing back some responses. So really cool to see that type of stuff happening. Um, and again, if you like what we're doing, spread the word about the podcast. We'd love to have as, as many listeners and, and grow this community as big as possible possible for folks that are uh, want to talk about the positive things of of. Uh, gaming so anything is possible doug yeah anything is possible yeah. if you put your mind to it it's possible <laughs> uh contact us with questions or comments email at gameschooler.com we'd love to hear from you now let's move on to the game of the week the game of the week do we need to try that again? That was a little soft. <laughs> no, keep All going. Right. The game of the week is an in-depth look at a family-friendly game we think you should try if you get the chance. This week's game is Green Team Wins. Doug, give us the stats. All right. Published in 2022 by 25th Century Games and now Goliath Games. I just saw it in Target recently, so it is showing up on the the worldwide marketplace. The designer is Nathan Thornton. The art is by Matt Paquette and company. Uh, three to six players in the new Goliath edition. Uh, the original was up to 12, and I believe the designer on Board Game Geek said any number of people yeah, can play this we'll game. It's not, it's not limited. That. Uh, it takes about 15 minutes to play for ages 10 and up. Uh, the Board Game Geek community says eight and up, which is Fairly accurate, as long as it can read and write. You need to be an independent reader, yep. And the complexity is a one out of five, which is what, patty cake, Michael? 1.78 out of five, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. Keep going, though. I might have transposed that wrong. I could have transcribed that. All right, so the game is played over 15 rounds where players will simultaneously answer one question at a time. There are three types of questions. There are fill-in-the-blank, this-or-that questions, and multiple-choice and Michael is it is 1.0. So that is patty cake, folks. Yes. Um, so and the multiple choice questions. So three types of questions: fill in the blank, this or that, and multiple choice. And to set up the game, you're randomly going to choose five cards from each type and shuffle them. Everyone will then be asked the same question, then writes down their responses at the same time. All players, so whoever is in the majority of those answers is going to join the green team and scores a point. Um, if your answer is not the most popular among the other players, then you join the orange team and you're going to score zero points for the round. So players joining the green team from the orange team will get one point and players who are on the green team and stay on it will earn two points. Um, but it's not about having the best answer or the smartest answer or the funniest answer. Only the most popular answer wins. The one that the most players at the table wrote down um, to get to win, the uh, to win, get on the green team and stay on the green team and win because that's what the green team does. They win. 
So it's it's very interesting. You're setting up these 15 cards, so it's got a, a set timer that, that 15 minutes is, is pretty accurate for yep. the, the game time. And the variety of the different types of questions, so the fill-in-the-blank ones are kind of more wide open, the this or that is narrowing it down to a choice, and the multiple choice is uh, between three possible answers. Yeah. So it's kind of, I like that because it, it's giving you, there's that crazy wild one that anybody can throw any answer out. There's a this or that, so it's a 50-50, and you're either going to be on the right side or the wrong side. And then the multiple choice, which is a, you know somewhere in between those two. Right. So that variety is is really cool. I think this one kind of reminds me of a, another recommended game that we've talked about, or a game of the week, is a super fast hive mind. Okay. So this is playing in a, in a same type of thing where you're trying to think like everybody else or what you think most people are going to put, but it's happening fast, and the... Um, there's less game structure around this. Yeah, and Hive Mind was episode 94. That was our, our game of the week. And another game that my kiddo, my seven-year-old said, right when we were in the middle of playing, she said, Dad, this this feels like just one, uh, which was all the way back in episode 21, another game that we've talked about Almost like a marriage a between it, the two. It really is. It plays fast. It's fun. There's a frivolity at the table. There's stories that are being told when people write down, um, you know, the fill in the blank that we had in the game that we played tonight, the word, it was candy and then blank. And in my head, it's like, that's going to be land. I candy land. This Kane. Is I would have went with cane. And my wife went with cane. <laughs> and our kids had very different answers. Yeah. And so there I am with candy land all alone. And I stay on the orange team and everyone's making fun of dad. And uh, we, I thought we were going to play a compressed game. We have a very busy night. Not only am I recording the podcast, but my oldest is being picked up from her very first Dungeons and Dragons campaign at the local library that's 25 minutes away. Um, other kids had voice lessons, and I could not get my seven-year-old away from the table. Eliza would have played this game to 100. <laughs> and so here, here it is, just Liza and I playing Green Team Wins one-on-one while everyone else has cleared the table and getting ready to move on to the five other events that we have. And I knew my family would like this game the first time that we played it. I had no idea that the younger kiddos in my family would take to this game mm. the way that they have to the point that when the, the box comes off, um, they just can't wait to play. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's really nice about Green Team Wins that allows some of those younger gamers to play and where I said you, you really only need to be an independent reader, the best of three options they have a one, two, and three on it. So if there's a longer word, it, instead of writing out all of watermelon, they can just write the number three, and then everyone else at the table knows like, oh yeah, watermelon. Yeah. And so there's an accessibility with Green Team Wins for some of the younger gamers that some of the other word games don't necessarily yeah. have. Um, this is the same designer who designed a game called Medium, a, a, mm. a word game that you introduced our family too, and that my wife absolutely loves. She got it uh, for Christmas one year as a gift, and and I thought, am I being selfish because I like this game? No, my wife loves that game. And the first time we played Green Team Wins, I could see her uh, digging into the game the same way that she has with some of the yeah. other other games that we enjoy. Yeah, I think the the thing too is because you're only writing on your own personal board. You know, a lot of a lot of the party games or or fast playing games that require words, 
a lot of times you're maybe submit like I'm thinking about like say anything or something like that where you're submitting answers and yeah. then somebody's picking it and it's like, well, I know the spelling is garbage, so that's my youngest daughter. Like those type of things are eliminated. It's yep. like as long as you knew what you were writing down, they can spell it however you know, there's no spell check or anything like that. Yep. So I I appreciate point. appreciate that. I think it's um it always leads to funny and 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 good conversation of why people answered the way that they did, and uh, which is similar to what happens in Hive Mind. Yeah, but I find this game trickier than Hive Mind because I'm always trying to in in Hive Mind. Your usually it's a list, three or four things, and it's you're matching multiple, and so maybe I'll match with you on one, but not on my other two, but maybe I'm you know, matching with somebody else on the other ones. So it's a little bit more kind of open and you can sp- spread out this one because it's focused down to one answer. I'm always struggling with like, okay, this is what I would write down, but what do I think other people are going to write down? And I have a hard time separating that for myself where it's yeah. like, my answer is this. I am a firm, this is the right, an-, you know, cause some of them would be, uh, I'm just throwing this out there, but be like the idea of like shorts or pants. Right. And it's like, I have a very strong opinion on one and that's what I think it should be. But then when I'm like looking what around the table. about your short pants, Doug? Yeah. Okay. You know, so then you look around the table and you're like, well, that person's going to answer that way, that one, that yeah. one. And so then you're thinking, I guess I better put this one down. So that's where the only thing that's kind of, I don't not weird, but it makes me uncomfortable sometimes where it's like, do I play this as do like I get this for the point, or, or do I pl- be true to myself? <laughs> be no, true yeah, to yeah, myself. Yeah. So. I, I watched my seven-year-old do that just a couple uh, hours. I mean, not even that long ago. Uh, the best of three. There was a question: What is the best flavor of gum? And then it's uh, cinnamon, minty, or fruity. And she knew I was going to put down minty. I'm chomping minty gum all day long, but she had to be true to herself, and she wrote down fruity. <laughs> you know, and this is when we were in a one-one. It's like Liza, you knew I was going to put down minty. She said, "Yeah, but the right answer is fruity, Dad." But you could have wrote down. You, <laughs> you didn't write down fruity because <laughs> I thought she would have wrote down minty, thinking that she knew that I would write minty. So I stayed on the orange team. She came over to the orange team, <laughs> and it's that level of thinking. That I think this is they, and, and I cannot take credit for this idea. I heard this on another podcast. I have to give credit to Andrew because I heard him say what I'm about to say, but I'm also going to vouch for it. I think this is the perfect team building type of game. Mm. And I, I think he said he used it at, at a work retreat. Um, but for my basketball team, you know, and, and I, I just took over a new program, so I have a new group of guys. Uh, they, they don't know me that well, but as a varsity coach, th- this is something I could bring out at, at a potluck or just one of those first team dinners and say, hey, we're, we're going to play a game. And I can imagine the groans in the room. What's wrong with this guy? Yeah, we knew he had a podcast on board games. We're going to play a game. And then the level of joy and humor, and, and this is a winner because yeah. – the three different cards help, right? You're not just getting one way to ask a question. You've got the best of three, the this or that, and the fill in the blank. Uh, this is a game where you, you can play with up 12 players. You can play with 24. Partner up people and make them decide on an answer. You know, um, and, and I just think this is a winner in so many different settings. Yeah, I think the other thing that's great about this, a long time ago we talked about um, 
games that you can teach while you play. Yeah. So this is one that you can get up and start playing right away. The other thing that isn't common in a lot of party games or just kind of have that, uh, we play till we get bored. This one has a coherent scoring structure and a set end game. Yep. It's like you're only playing 15 cards. Now you can keep going if you want to. And it's not to a set score. It's just when the 15 cards are done, it's over. That whoever's got the most points wins. So a lot of times when you're playing party games, it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, you get three points. I get, I mean, even just one has that where it's pretty much just, you just keep playing until you get bored. Well, you can go around twice, I think, what the rules say, but you can just. Yeah. Keep playing. No, yeah. You know, I don't, I have never played that game where people are, are saying, all right, we've got our eight cards set out. And it's like, oh, we only got seven this time. Let's do it again. See if we can get them all. Like, I, it just hasn't been my experience that people play that way. But this one, you know, there's little victories throughout it. It's like, ah, I'm on, I can't believe that I'm not on the green team right now, or I am on the green team. I keep staying there and I win this round. And you get through those 15 cards in a flash, and it's like, everybody want to play again? Yeah. Great. Let's keep going. Um, the cleverness too to the game of the party game of thinking like a winner. Yeah. I mean that little tagline <laughs> says so much. Who doesn't want to be a winner, right? But then there's a loaded phrase in there: the party game. So to gamers, that's telling them something like this: this is a party game. This yeah. is a game that you can play with some of your non-gamer friends. You can play with your grandma. You can play with your aunt. You can you can play with your basketball team, and people are going to have a great time. Yeah. Because who doesn't want to think like a winner, right? There's yeah. a universal appeal to that, and. I just think there was the appropriate level of development of really of streamlining the game down to just three different types of questions. It would have been very easy for somebody to say, we need to have five questions, seven questions. But the fact that there are no, there are three different types of questions. You're going to take five of each type, shuffle them up. This is the game. Yeah. It's done in 15 minutes, Doug. Yeah. You can get it done over a lunch hour, over a recess hour. You can... Um, you know, not, not a game that you're going to be able to solo, but other than yeah. that, I don't have any, no, I don't have anything critical to say about this one. And no. I've tried. Yeah. No, when we talked to, we've been talking about some games recently where, you know, we talk about where the best fit is and when it's like, when you say this is a universal game, this can fit everywhere. This can fit in the classroom, the, the setup, the gameplay time, you know, the, the, the play time, the number of players, you can have this in a in a classroom. You can play it on, on game night. It can be just a family game. It can be a casual around the fire game. Like yep. this fits everywhere. But not only does it fit everywhere, but it also has great skills in it. Yep. Um, this is a great game that has observation that rewards careful watching of details and behaviors in order to understand, arrive at a judgment, paying attention to who you're playing with and what they're they're doing. But I think the biggest takeaway from this for me is the group discussion aspect, um, which is a game that instigates the sharing of ideas, solvings of problems, uh, providing feedback within the group. I played a game with with um, some family, and one of the questions was, what part of the s'more does the heavy lifting? Oh, yeah. The chocolate, the, the graham cracker, or the marshmallow? And... Th- I mean, it turned into a 20-minute discussion around the fire of, you know, my, my answer is the, the marshmallow because it sacrifices its body 
<laughs> for, for for the s'more. Well, structurally, you're not going to eat the melted marshmallow. But and you can the have a toasted marshmallow <laughs> with your hands. So my answer would be the graham cracker because that gives it the structure. But go ahead. Um, so still not buying what you're selling. <laughs> so, the, so that discussion, you know, was just fun, and everybody was having a good time. And like we, you know, the fact that you can have a, a five to ten minute discussion about the the various merits of why somebody picked something or or didn't pick something yeah. is a great bonding experience. Well, and I'm having flashbacks to some of our early episodes where I would shout out a skill and you would just poke holes in it and smash me and I would leave the house crying and second guessing my intelligence. <laughs> but there's all for young gamers especially, there's also precision, a game that rewards players for being exact and accurate with fine motor skills, you're writing out the word and you're having to think about the word that's in your head and bring that to the board. Uh, the candy example, my youngest said the word sweets and she wrote it and she was really proud of herself. But then when we went around the table, everyone shared their answer. You could kind of see her get a little bit deflated because she knew she missed the mark. Yeah, candy and sweets, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It does to a seven-year-old, but she should have thought about the rest of the people at the table. And that takes me to my next skill of perseverance. You there, It's not a serious game, but there are times where three, four, five rounds will go by, and you're stuck on the orange team. Yeah, four four rounds on the orange team is a <laughs> real no downer. It's fun. It's like, man, I just spent a third of the game not getting any points. Well... There's only one thing to do: start thinking like a winner. Look at <laughs> look at what other people are doing, and try to get back on page. Yeah. Whether you're seven or you're 42, uh, the game has has those two uh, pieces in there. Being the, precise the highs and lows of yeah, gaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are a couple of other skills that are in here. All right. Well, I think that's uh, we'll put a button on it here. I think that's uh, it's just a phenomenal game that we we enjoy talking about, and we're happy to share with you. Michael's got one more. Yeah, and a big thank you to Brian Turtle. He yeah. uh, he's a sales uh, manager, guy, director, big time head honcho over at Goliath Games, and we met up with him at a trade show, uh, and he was really gracious with his time, and, and and shared the game with us. Did a great rules teach with us, um, and the, the the it is one of those games that does sell itself, and you yeah. can tell we're both big believers in it. And I just wanted to thank him. Um, for for playing around with us. Yeah, and full disclosure, we are making these statements of our own volition. Oh, so yeah. So if, uh, you know, if, if we had played this game and we did not like it, you would never hear about it. So, you know, I know there's a lot of stuff in the industry about, oh, these people got copies, these people did this, and you know, who's getting paid and, and all that type of stuff. No, the this games, is no payola. This the is games a... that we talk about as games of the week and, and that we want to talk about are ones that we we played, loved, and want to share with our listeners for no other reason than we think that you may enjoy them as well. Uh, we're not necessarily a review channel. Yeah. Um, but if you want to send cash, you send that over <laughs> to the Game Schooler Headquarters West address. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll take cash. But yeah. no, that's absolutely correct. Uh, um, so that is our game of the week this week. The green team wins. Oh, there's one other thing, Doug. Oh. Age. What What is the lowest age? 
Sorry, I had that in my notes that you think. I think I think seven, yeah, seven eight. I mean, you need to be able to write words. All right, that was one that I, I, I just wanted to the, bounce my head off, off off your thoughts because I do plan on taking it into at, the school setting. Yeah, at least some some level of being able to sound out, at least be able to write down what you think is a word and repeat that word back, and be able to keep that quiet so everyone at the table doesn't hear your answer. Yeah, because if one person, yeah, yeah. It, and comfortable enough to not have to say like, Dad. How do I spell? Yep. Like that type of stuff. Yep. I think you'll so be good. Seven and eight's good. All right. All right. So that is our game of the week. Uh, anything else, Michael? No. <laughs> All right. That's our game of the week. Green team wins. Let's head over to the school of gaming. The school of gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming. This week, we'll be discussing when does a game become too much? Yeah, so this concept comes out of the idea of, of some games, kind of a, for me, it's a two-pronged approach. It's like, when is there too much game, either for what it's trying to do or... Um, expansions like where it becomes overloaded to the point of either unplayability or people even playing this. So I've kind of gotten my, my notes designed on, on two different divergent paths, whether it's expansions or actual game bloat. Um, So do you have a preference on either side or thoughts on those? Go all the way through. Then I'm going to offer a different approach of how I attack this. So, uh, expansions is one thing. So I feel like we live in a in a, a a culture where you play the base game, everybody loves the base game, and the publisher's like, we need a way to capitalize on this, so here's an expansion. And so if you like the base game, you're going to love the expansion, and it becomes a thing of more and getting everything, the kind of the completionist type of, of approach. But in my own experience... I've found that I feel like I play one out of every 10 expansions that I've ever bought. Like, I've bought expansions for a bunch of games, but usually I'm not playing those games enough to where I feel comfortable. I'm either teaching the game to new people, and I'm not going to throw an expansion in there, and I'm not playing it enough with the people I've already played it with to throw the expansion in and feel confident anyway. When you play a game for the first time with people, it's almost an exception that you would include an expansion. Yes, right? unless yeah. it was so seamless in the teach yeah. that I felt like this is not going to overwhelm people. And that's such a small uh, thing of expansions. Um, and I'm kind of curious of like, I'm, I get the impression that I'm not unique in the gaming world of the way that I consume and play games. I, I get the impression from Board Game Geek and other people that are out there that people are consuming games at a rapid pace, and certainly the people on Board Game Geek. Sure. Now, uh, other people may people just, in the hobby. People in the hobby, like some people may be going to buy Wingspan and they're playing Wingspan five hundred times and they never need to look at another game. That's fine, but there are the people that are buying expansions. I'm just curious how many people are actually playing through all of them. Okay. And, and consuming, unless it's a lifestyle game where it's like, 
yes, we play Arkham Horror, the card game, and every time a new set comes out, we're playing it and it's enhancing. It's almost like a campaign legacy type of thing. Um, and I just kind of wonder sometimes if if the expansion thing is more about money than it is gameplay. Yeah. And the idea that you're sucked in because you like the original. Um, and we're, you know, it'd be a good thing to talk to a developer or a publisher about at which point is it <clears throat> adding a part that the designer maybe brought to the table right in the beginning that got cut out. Yeah. That they wanted to be in. Um which I think is is a great place for an expansion. <coughs> Excuse me. And yeah. I guess would lead into the other part, which is mechanism bloat. And so I'm going to throw something out there that I think I have a theory that when a game has more than two or three main mechanisms, it's a problem. <coughs> usually. Usually it is. Um, especially when for, for us, uh, when we look at, games that we're going to review and pass on to people who are playing family or family plus games. Um, I can't think of too many that have more than two to three I think mechanisms. What, and the ones that I've played, it seems to be like a lot, like that seems to be maybe a common trend in board gaming where it's just adding more and more. And I, I have three things here, which is one more cool things does not always make a better game. And I think the inability of a designer to separate a cool concept from the overall project, that's like that killing your darlings. It's like, yes, that is a really cool mechanism and a cool process, but it doesn't necessarily fit in with the overall game experience that sometimes those feel tacked on. And they're usually extra mechanisms of, okay, well, we've got this worker placement aspect mixed with the deck building and then we're going to throw in a level of dexterity and something else because... But people have already done worker placement, so we better have some progression so yeah, that we can advance those workers along the way. Something different, and then they're throwing other elements on it. And I just think that there's a... Uh, what it comes down to is a lack of a developer of kind of streamlining that. And so I'm, I'm curious... Or, or a developer gone wild in some instances. Sure. You know, we... An example of development done right, a game that we've talked about is Flamecraft. Yes. Right? And there's an example. P- Peter Vaughn is a developer of that. He also developed Dwellings of Eldervale, two, two of just my favorite games that I've played over and over in the last few years. And in Flamecraft, the initial design was what, Doug? There was what, going to be... All of the dragons were going to have a different ability. Yeah. And that was reduced down to the type of dragons all had the same type of ability. So it it you know after two or three rounds you know what all the different abilities are on all the dragons because there's only six of them as opposed to possibly fifty abilities that yeah. every time a card came oh my out goodness. you'd, Can you'd you have you'd that? have to read it yeah so like that is an example of cutting down the bloat and development done right and a game doing that and there's others where that in your you know what you're talking about development gone wrong where you're putting appendages on is like, can we add another layer of complexity? And I just, we played a lot of games recently that have had that, or it seems like it anyway. And it seems like some of the games that are becoming the hotness on board game geek, I'm just looking at them and I'm like, there's too much here. Like, and I know that that game is not for me and maybe I'm not the right market and and maybe our audience is the right market, but I'm just like wondering what, uh, 
what the mass appeal is of some of those things. Yeah, and I'm going to meander here for a little bit because we we have a friend in our game group who will be walking through the door in a few minutes <laughs> who um, knows a game very well because he's helped to design the insert tray uh, for some other games that that publisher makes. And their expansion for a game that I really like is about $95. And I'm like, goodness gracious, am I going to spend my monthly board game allowance on an expansion? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I have the base game. I have the deluxe version of the base game. And I, I, you know, so I asked him, and this is a guy, I won't play the base game against him because he'll just absolutely wax me, right? He's an MIT grad and he's got like 50 logged plays of this game or something crazy. And I'm exaggerating, but exaggerating for effect here. And, and I said to him, do I get this expansion? And I knew he would tell me directly, you know, like, yeah. oh yes, it does this to the game or does that to the game. And his response was something to the effect of, I don't see myself outplaying the base game. Mm. And I thought, whoa, now that's a brilliant response. Yeah. It's not, do I get this expansion? It's, I haven't even outplayed the base game yet. Yeah. And, and when I do, that would be the moment to consider adding the expansion. And it, I got to tell you, his, his response really changed how I look at expansions. It's yeah. not fear of missing out on adding to a game yes. that I already yeah. love. It was... I haven't even come close to outplaying yes. the game that I love. Yeah. Um, so I, I well, thought that was a really good expansion and bloat uh, yeah. response from from our friend. Yeah, because it's a it's a good phrase where it's like there's, I this goes along kind of the same line because expansions tend to add this, but a lot of times it gets added into the base game is like all this variable setup and variety and this concept of like well every game will never you know no game will ever be the same yeah and kind of advertising that and it's something that a lot of expansions add and a lot of base games just put in there and it's one of those things where i i get to what you're saying where it's like yeah but have i let me get bored with the basic setup and like get to know the ins and outs of that before i need to know about variety and oh i can put this power in and i can do that stuff like i feel like you need to play three or four times before i would get bored with a game to then say all right let's throw this other element in yep and then if i say okay that's pretty cool i want another element by then i'm 20 or 30 plays in the odds of me even being interested in that game 20 or 30 plays in seems astronomical to me like that i would just be like more 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 more, you know, and some of the things that I do have a bunch of expansions for usually have nothing to do with the actual gameplay. Okay. Like I have a bunch of Marvel United. I have everything for Marvel United. And that has to do with painting the figures and just loving the game. Yes. Right? But it has nothing of like, oh, well, I've played through, like if none of the expansions came out, I, I don't know that I would be saying yeah. I need more, more, more. So I have two games where I know the expansions um, don't do too much. What they do, they just add another layer to a universe that I already love. And almost the way that uh, when a video game comes out with a sequel, right? Yeah. And it's like, no, I want that second game in that line. And I'm thinking of Everdell, and I'm thinking of Tapestry. Hmm. Though Both of those games have expansions that are almost sequels to an existing game where, yes, I need the base game to, to play... Um, Mistwood or Spirecrest. I do need the base game, but it really adds a whole nother layer, a whole nother level 
to Everdell, and and tapestry is is the, the same way. Um, that you know, it, it it adds a whole nother track to the game um, that I enjoy. I don't feel like it's doing too much there from the expansion standpoint. Well, and that's the thing. Like I said, there's one out of every ten or or so. But it is the exception, Doug. Yeah, you those are I mean? those, those are the exceptions where it's like some of them have nothing to do with the gameplay. Some of them are, like you said, they're adding a little wrinkle that you don't feel like you're. You know, upsetting the apple cart, introducing them the first time around. You know, or I know that I love the the game. Yeah, yeah. So it's just interesting yeah. that there's a lot of different varieties, and it just seems like more frequently maybe that that the idea of streamlining is is maybe getting lost, and and there's clamoring for I love this game, I want the expansion, and I'm just and maybe it's two different issues: the idea of the the number of games that maybe don't have a, a strong developer and and things aren't getting chopped off that maybe should be or things are getting tacked on that they shouldn't yep because I am a, a firm believer of streamlined design and uh, that the complexity comes from from the gameplay choices not necessarily more and more mechanisms within. yeah you know so there's that level but then there's also the expansion level which maybe is a different discussion which is how many people are actually consuming through these games or played them enough that they want the expansion of like, yes, I need that content versus they just fell into a sales trap. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, and I say that as myself being a victim of that, you know, where it's like, I have a a bunch of multiple times, both of us, (laughs) you know, a, a, a bunch of Marvel legendary, uh, deck building game, cards that's like i'll never go through and eventually it got to a point where there's so many of them like i can't keep doing this like yeah i hit a wall at the same time i have no problem playing with every seven wonders expansion and i feel like i can implement it fairly well and i'm happy with several of those that i'm like yeah this is a really good addition to the game as opposed to just hey you love this here's more um so maybe two different discussions, but um, that's where I think think we land on that. I, yeah, and I have about 12 to 15 minutes of content for this as well, but I'm going to save that for <laughs> either next week or a future episode because <laughs> I, I also have a whole different it, – it's, it's similar, but it is different of answer to when a game becomes too much. Well, let's hear it. You sure? Yeah, this I'm ready. This could go long, man. All right, Um I think a game becomes too much when you have that moment, what do we do now? And everything stops. And when that mm. moment happens for a second time, that 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 game has become too much with my family, right? So there and that's like a rules bloat, right? Where it, it's like it could be a rules bloat. Like what do we or, do when this happens? Or yeah, when do yeah, we do or that? Just a, yeah. an understanding and comprehension that maybe it was clear in the rules, but it wasn't clear to me, right? Um, and so with with my family, it's the second time. I, I've I've lost my middle daughter. My older oldest daughter's in her phone. My wife's thinking, "Come on, Michael. I thought you knew how to teach this game." Um, when it's with other people's kids. So if I'm playing this game in the school setting, it's the first time. Yeah. If that moment happened, if I don't know that game inside and out, and if there is a stall, a break in the game of what do we do right now, and I can't get you an answer in under 12 to 15 seconds, 
that's done. And with our game group, I think if it happens three times, you know, and, and so it's really setting dependent. And I was looking at it and breaking it down. That kind of leads to the complexity. With our yeah. game group, we can handle, you know, you, me, and Dan, and Dan is a developer and a, and a designer. Yeah. We, we can handle complexity up to about 3.0 fairly easily, and we might have a, what do we do right now? And somebody will consult the rules. Another person will go to Board Game Geek, and we'll get the answer. But if that happens a third time in a game that we've reviewed and gotten ready for, there there's an issue there. And with my family, we tend to play games that are closer to that 2.0 complexity. And I'm talking about our ceiling. Yeah. And with other people's kiddos, the closer I can get to 1.0, the better it is for a middle yeah. school board game club. Green team wins. A lot of the Phil Walker Harding. A lot of the games that we've talked about where I say these, these are a perfect fit in a middle school setting. Uh, it does come back to some of that complexity and just that 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 stall. So that that was the approach that I was taking too about when a game becomes too much. And I do think some of that comes. It's perfect to what you're saying about the bloat. Yeah. If there are too many different directions that a game can take, that's going to have additional opportunities for that stall of well, what do I need to do right now? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you know to your to your point, it's one of those things where we're, I mean, I don't want to toot our own horn, but it's like we've played a lot of games and we're smart dudes. So it's not necessarily the idea of this game is too complex that we can't handle it. It's it's more of a patience level of like, I don't care to handle it. Yeah. I can handle it, but it go, it falls off that edge of where it's like, but this is not enjoyable anymore. Right. You know, where... And, and the setting varies, right? Yeah. With our, with our game group... It's maybe not understanding the final score or what what two or three of the exception rules were. Uh, with my own family, and I'm speaking for me, it's not having the answer in, in action, having to actually go to the rule book. Yeah. And with other people's kids, it's just losing them. If I'm in a school setting, I have to be in complete command uh, yeah. of the table. And it's okay once in a while to go to a rule book while somebody's taking it. Yeah. But if it's a Stop grinding halt. Oh yeah. gosh, then we're in trouble. Yeah. yeah. So that's interesting. The idea of of that that changing on the on the group. I I like that idea of almost the the game becomes too much depend dependent on the group that you're with, um, which I I hadn't thought about. So let us know in the Discord when when a game becomes too much for you. Uh, what you know whether that's a, a complexity a a mechanism thing or an expansion thing or if that's even a thing. Maybe it's Maybe it's just us uh, uh, dummies here sitting in Wisconsin, yeah, <laughs> Wisconsin could, could that, be. <laughs> that can't, can't handle it. So uh, that's the School of Gaming. Let's uh, head over to the high five. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. This week, we're going to be talking about games that you can't try out <laughs> until they get reprinted. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that we... You know, we usually don't like to talk about stuff that's really hard or out of print um, to find. But I think with Gen Con coming up and there was a there was a game that would have been on my list that is getting reprinted. And it right. seems like this list keeps getting harder and harder to make. I ran into that as well. Because games are being reprinted. Well, and Vassal's Law. Yes. Right? Tom yeah. Vassal, the CEO of the Dice Tower, there's a... a something known as Vassal's Law, and that's great games will always get reprinted. Correct. So uh, we'll take this list for what it's worth, and and some of these I, I think 
you know, have a potential to get picked up or or change just depending on their their situation. Some of them I'm I'm flabbergasted that they haven't been reprinted and have been kind of out of print for a while. So yeah. I'm interested to hear what you've got on your list. So and, and I'm curious to see how much crossover we're going to have. Uh, any games of the week on your list? Uh, one. Yeah, yeah, same here. So number five for me is Flam Rouge, 2016 release from Stronghold Games here in the United States. It's half the design team as Heat, Pedal to the Metal, and Deep Blue. Um, basically, it's it's a bike racing game. Uh, Asker Harding Granrude is the designer. And in my ideal world, Days of Wonder would pick this up and republish it. Now, that's not something that Days of Wonder uh, typically does, correct, Doug? And you know that company a lot better than me, but they design correct. stuff in-house. So they're not going to republish somebody else's uh, design. So but, is this, this is one that... Can you not currently get it? You can get it. It's approaching $60. You could still find it in some places, but it is, I don't think it's currently in print. Okay. And if it is, I just want a cleaner, better production. I want okay. a Days of Wonder reprint, not to gotcha. slam on Stronghold. They do a lot of great stuff, uh, you know, a ton of great stuff. And, uh, but this is one where that team of Asker Harding Granroot, you know, he's gone to Days of Wonder for Heat, Pedal of the Metal, and Deep Blue. Sure. And when I see Flam Rouge, I was like, oh, I, I love to see that one published under Days of Wonder. This is my only kind of weird exception one like that. But, um, man, the game just looks really cool. I haven't actually played it yet. Uh, I haven't been able to get my hands on it. But that's one that I would love to just see a, a Days of Wonder pick up here okay. and, and run with. Bike racing game. Interesting. Yeah, I think we've got a list coming up um, down the ways, which will be um, similar, but the idea of, of games that we would want new art. Yeah. Um, and kind of just a new, so this new one production. Might, might hit that one. As um, well. My number five is a game called Witness from Yastari Games, published in 2014. The designer is Dominique Bowden. Um, in Witness, it's a really interesting game that's designed specifically for four players. And only four, right? Only four. Yeah. Each player gets a, a, a little book. There's so many different cases in the game. I don't remember how many. But each person gets a, a, a book with uh, their little pieces of information that they need to read out of the book and kind of memorize. And then you're doing this like game of telephone where you're whispering to other people what your information is. But then I may actually then need to relay to the person on my left what Michael told me. And it kind of creates this telephone where you're trying to accomplish and get all of the information from everybody. And then people are writing their answers down to a set of questions trying to solve it. And it's a, just a really interesting concept um, that I think the is it Blake and Mortimer is, is kind of the theme. So I don't know if – and I think that's kind of a famous um, – cartoon a maybe. Belgian comic series started in the 1940s yeah. by Edgar P. Jacobs. That's what Board Game Geek says. So I don't know if that has anything to do with with the potential of, you know, or maybe it just didn't sell very well, but it's pretty pricey on the secondary market. Pretty pricey is right. Uh, especially in the United States, maybe not so much uh, Over overseas. in Europe, you can find it. So maybe next trip to Europe, Doug, will Yeah, I'll pick, pick that up. Pick a 20 of them up and bring them home. Appreciate it. Flip them. So I don't know if the no, don't do that. The, the retheme is is you know just because it has like an IP attached to it, and 
but it does is seem like something that could be redone and potentially modernized a, a little bit uh, with a different theme and and certainly one that I think would be interesting to get back on the table. That's yeah. witness. And in that one, there's a set number of unique cases that you're trying to solve similar to, to the crew and other, right? Yeah, there's yep. 64 okay. cases to solve. So not something that's going to happen yeah, too that, quickly. That's one I want to play. That, that, that's great. Number four for me was a game of the week, and that was back in episode 108. And folks, that is Airlines Europe 2011, mm-hmm. published by Alan R. Moon, two to five players, uh, published by Rio Grande Games here in North America. And this is not a game that will get reprinted according to the designer. So, um, but it should. It, it should. It absolutely should because it is a route building game. That to, and we talked about it at length in episode 108, and a, at length in a half dozen episodes around 108. Um, there is a payout system of when the the airlines get called, so to speak, or or get cashed out. That is just different enough from Ticket to Ride, um, and it shares enough DNA of Ticket to Ride, where it's like, oh yeah, I've played this game, but this is the next level up. That anyone who has enjoyed Ticket to Ride would love Airlines Europe. I think this is a game that would sell well in Target. I think this is a game that would sell well long-term, and I really wish it would get republished because when I've looked at other games that quote-unquote re-implement it, such as Union Pacific, there are some similarities, but Airlines Europe is unique. Mm. Uh, And it's not just unique because you're in a a European map. It's really in how you go in and out of building your route and going in on other routes and um, trying to tank um, certain airlines as well. So that that's my number four is is Airlines Europe. I have it rated as a nine out of ten on Board Game Geek, and I only see that ranking going up if I were to play it a lot more. Uh, it's a little it can run a little bit long, but man, is it fun! <laughs> I suspected this one might be on your list. Uh, my number four is a one I think maybe a crossover. Uh, we talked about this one in episode one oh four. That is Pioneer Days, uh, originally published in 2017 by Tasty Minstrel Games, uh, the designer Matthew Dunstan and Chris Marling. So the reason this is on the list is, one, I feel like if you wanted, if you grew up in the 80s and you played Oregon Trail on the computer, then this is the game for you. This is a tabletop version of that game. It has good design pedigree with Matthew Dunstan. The original publisher, Tasty Minstrel Games, went out of business. Yep. So I feel like this one is is primed to get picked it's up by get somebody. Up, Doug. Um, and it's just a phenomenal game. If you want more detail on it, um, episode 104, we did a deep dive on that as the game of the week. But it just the artwork is really cool. It's fun. It's dice drafting. And it's one of those games where the, the mechanisms match the theme so well that once you're around in those rule questions disappear because everything just makes sense thematically. Yeah. Uh, which is something I love in a game. So that's my number four pioneer days. First time I played that game, I absolutely lit up and loved it. And then a, a few months later we were playing with another friend of ours and he had the same experience. He lit up and he loved it. Just something about 
getting the items onto your wagon, filling everything up and trying to make sure that everything keeps running. You got to have repairs to your wagon. The, the yeah. game just works. Yep. So right. that's my number four, Pioneer Days. Number three, I don't think you'll be surprised because I've talked about it a lot. I probably have initiated no fewer than 25 trades on Board Game Geek to try to get this game. And right now, I still don't have this game. So I'm 0 for 25. And that that's not much of an exaggeration. It's just a game I have? Number up. It is. Okay. And that's Pirate's Cove. Gotcha. Uh, 2002, Paul Randalls and Daniel Stahl, Days of Wonder, uh, published it. And it hasn't been republished in, in almost a decade as well. Um, but in, in Pirates Cove, it's three to five players, 60 to 90 minutes. The weight is right around 2.01 out of five. But you are going in and out of different ports. And um, I'm going to turn some of the description over to Doug, unless you're giving me the nod that you'll talk more about it later. But I'm just going to pause on Pirates Cove <laughs> now and look up how many times I've initiated a trade. And I'm going to send it over to you for number three, Doug. All right. My number three is another Days of Wonder game. And I'm, I'm, I cannot believe this has not been re- republished or Ooh, you reprinted. you got that angry look on your face, Doug. <laughs> it just shocks me. It was originally published in 2015. By Bruno Catala and Serge Legette from Days of Wonder is Shadows Over Camelot. Oh, yeah. This was one of the first hidden trader cooperative games that came out. The theme and the production are beautiful. And I'm just, I haven't done any research on Board Game Geek of why this has not been reprinted. But I just, I, I feel like this is one of those games that. And essentially, you're you're the knights of the round table. Potentially, there's a a traitor among you, but there may not be. And you are trying to solve uh, various tasks, and you're doing that essentially by playing poker hands down on the table. So the the thematic element of like, oh, I'm going to play this, and there there's some kind of hidden communication where I can say, oh, I can help out a lot, or I can help out a little, which means I have high cards or low cards, things like that. I get why why some people might be like, ah, that's not for me. However, it does feel like a game to me that if it came out now and was presented as a new game, it would sell. People would be going like, oh, you got to try this game. This this game is great. You got to try it. And and maybe that distance from it of of being maybe ahead of its time and and the... um, the increased level of complexity that has penetrated the hobby recently, that this seems like it could get reprinted and just be a breath of fresh air. Um, there has to be a story there. Did you research it all? I, I or have jump not. On the forums to find but out. But it is one that I would love to. Uh, it's it's one of those things where, and it's probably a game that you can find in a lot of. Uh, convention libraries. I'm, I'm glad you said that. I thought you were going to talk about no, like, not second or Goodwill or something like no, that. I'm shaking no. my head because that game seems to be $200. Yeah. And I've been on the search for it to acquire it for about a year and a half. And yeah. I, it's, I just can't bring myself to well, pay and it's $200 one of those, for it's it. It's one of those things, too, where it's like I'm hesitant to enter. Like it was when I first got into the hobby, this is when I was playing all the time with people. Yeah. And now it's at a thing where it's like, I don't want to introduce it to people because I don't want to pe- get people excited. Yeah. It's like, oh, I love this game. And where can I get it? It's like, well, you can't. From my collection. <laughs> you know, so that's an interesting with like reprints where I do have a handful of games where I'm like, I, I don't want to pull this out because if you love it, then what? 
yeah, friends of ours who own a game shop have this in their game library. And and Doug was giving me a hard time. We were talking to the owners about it. Like, oh, Michael might walk out with your game library copy. And when they heard that it was going out and it was going out for the final time, they were buying copies off of Amazon and then just to put as many in their store as possible. And yeah. I think that, that so we, there's so many stories of, yeah. around that game that hopefully it'll come back. But. So that's my number three, Shadows Over Camelot. That's great. My number two will be no surprise to Doug. It's a game that he brought into my house, and that's called Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, a gemstone mining game. 2018 release, three to seven players, plays in about 45 minutes, ages eight plus and a 1.2. Okay, so how can this be such a great game? Because the press your luck as you are mining for gems brings attention to the table where seven and eight-year-olds are rooting against their father or their uncle. And um, there's just a really pleasant meanness to this game. I, I, I know all those things sound very weird coming out of my mouth, but at, in playing a gemstone mining game, what really comes up is just this moment of almost like a, a lottery ticket. Uh, just, uh, oh, am I going to win? Am I going to win? Am I going to win? Yeah! You have that as you are pulling gems out of the bag to try to complete uh, certain objectives. This is the only game in our family collection that my wife will not take with us when we go on the road or leave the house because she is actually afraid of it getting damaged because she's heard Doug and I talk about it enough and Doug's wife talk about it enough. Like, yeah, that's a hard one to get. Um, the op had it, and it's based on a game called Quartz, which is equally difficult uh, to, to find. So I hate to just get people hyped up about a game that you can't find. But if you come across it, you know, I got mine on, on Facebook Marketplace for 25 bucks. Every once in a while, I'll see it out there because it is still recent enough where people are just getting rid of it to get it out of their house. Um, Doug, I don't know if there's anything more that you want to say about it. I didn't say a whole lot specifically about what makes the game awesome. But nope, I will address that at I a later time. I thought you might, and that's why I'll hold. Um, all right, so my number two is um, Pirate's Cove that Michael talked about earlier. This is another game that I think if it came out now with some of the... Imp now, don't get me wrong. The Days of Wonder production of this in 2002... 2005 range is awesome. Yeah. Like it's really good for the time that it came out, but some of the things that they've done with double boards and, and things like that, some of the component upgrades that could come out with a game like this now is another game that I think would come out and be a breath of fresh air amongst what is now considered a, a family game. And it would just be uh, super accessible. Like I could see this being on the shelf next to Ticket to Ride with the same level of 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 reverence if it got reprinted. I'm not sure why it hasn't. Um, and and maybe another game that that could have been a, ahead of its time when that came out. That it just was a a different type of game that now has mechanisms that are not unique anymore. And some of those mechanisms are. I mean, uh, well, you're you're doing the the hidden action selection where you're going, the the combat is is dice rolling yeah. and hand and, management, and, pick up and deliver. There's I, some a fighting aspect in yeah, there as well. It just got a lot of different stuff. It does all of those piratey things in a game that doesn't seem too mean. It has all of the 
upgrading your ship type of elements on a simplified upgrading your ship ship and crew and doing all of that type of stuff that you would expect in a pirate game in a 60 minute package. Yeah. So, and I am 0 for 9 on trades to all those <laughs> uh, concerned listeners keeping track at home, which is actually a lot. I mean, if if you propose 10 trades on board, and I'm I'm not just looking for a deal here. I'm, I'm giving away good stuff for Pirate's Cove. So, yeah, that's if that came out today, um, I think we'd both run out and buy it. Yeah. Great. So that's my number two, Pirate's Cove. Yeah, my number one is just, it might be more selfish than anything, but this is a game that will probably never enter my collection because of the price on the secondary market, and that is Love Letter Batman. Mm. Love Letter is a game that we love in our house, and we have the Star Wars version, we have the base version, and I am a, I'm not... I shouldn't say a huge Batman fan because there are people out there that have like bat caves and stuff like that in their house, but Batman was my guy growing up. You're like, I'm I'm Batman, not I'm I'm Batman. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I was a Joker for Halloween, and then the next year I was Batman. You know, so like (laughs) as a kid, Batman was my thing. And animated series, Adam West, you know, I'm watching it all day long. Um, and, And I won't get into that rabbit hole too deep, but. Um, AEG published it. The designer is Selji Kanai. Uh, allegedly, according to Lore and Doug Kotecki, this thing was like 15 bucks when it came out where Walmart and Target yeah, it was just were a regular, a release, regular yeah. game. Well, not anymore. You got to pay 80 bucks to some jabroni if you want to <laughs> buy it from Geek Market, or uh, you, you got to trade away a $180 Kickstarter to get this little deck in your house, or you got to give Noble Knight like 175 bucks. Well, option one, no. Option two, no. Option three, no. So, Love Letter Batman, please uh, <laughs> reprint that game. But what's cool about it? Are the abilities of the cards are so closely tied to yeah. the characters, uh, Robin's ability and the the Joker. Um, I mean, it, it is just a, a fantastic uh, version of Love Letter. That's my number one game that that needs to get reprinted. Yeah, when well, it's got a, a bad tokens. Yeah, it's got a lot of similarities to me for my number one, which is a situation where the theme, you know, that was either pasted on or added to, works so well with the original mechanisms that I think that marriage is what puts it over the top. Uh, so my number one is Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, a gemstone mining game. And it's one where the gameplay for Quartz, the game it's based on, is very similar. There's not that much different. But once you put that Snow White and the Seven Dwarves theme on it... Because the characters it adds, add a life to the game. adds a whole yeah. other level to it. So I can see where... On its base quartz, it's like, oh, okay, it's a fine game. But once you add that little mm, sprinkle of magic on it, somehow it transforms into a different game that becomes yep. a little bit more lighthearted, even though you may be doing mean things. It's more jovial and fun, and people are laughing, and the, the push-your-luck element, it, it just puts the game in a different atmosphere, which is why I think it works so well and why... I never heard about the Friday the 13th one that that got reprinted which was a similar that based on the same game. They they did another version that just came and went. You know, obviously Quartz hasn't been reprinted since then, but I think there is something special about the Snow White one yeah. 
for me anyway and my family and any, anybody that I've introduced it to has instantly fallen in love. And I think it is that marriage of game and theme that just happens to sync up perfectly. Well, and, and as a kid, I did not like Snow White. I was yeah. very bored with that IP and that Disney movie. And yet the game, I enjoy the heck out of. It yeah. just all fits. Yeah, that's a good list. All right, so those are our, our high five games we think need to be reprinted. The only one on my honorable mention is Ex Libris, oh, yeah. which is getting reprinted from Renegade Game Studios. So how about you? Do you have any? Yeah, I do. Tigris and Euphrates, uh, and that is also getting reprinted uh, coming in October. Allegedly, it's an Essen release. Uh, Dr. Reiner Knizia confirmed it very recently on a Dice Tower interview. He does few interviews, but he did confirm that it's coming. But then there was an, uh, a, cryptic, being <laughs> a cryptic message in there by the good doctor that he hasn't actually seen images yet. So he was kind of chiding his publisher of, if you're going to get this out to Essen and it's July, you better get me some images <laughs> in only the way that the good doctor can. But some of the earlier versions of Tigris and Euphrates are just ugly, Doug. Yeah. And the gameplay, I mean, it's one of his highest regarded games, a game that I don't have in my collection. I'm not going to pay $200 for. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that reprint. All right. So there's our high five games we think that need to be reprinted. Uh, if you like what we're doing, subscribe to the podcast uh, so you can get episodes as soon as they drop every Friday morning. If you... Uh, also like what we're doing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at GameSchoolerU for both of those. Next week, we're going to be talking about the pursuit of happiness. How seriously should we take gaming? Um, and I don't even know what the high five is. So we'll have fun there. Wait, let me look. I can do it. I can do it. It is. Go, Doug. Go, Doug. Games to keep at the cabin. Uh, so our high five games to keep at the cabin is what we'll be bringing to you next week. Thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We truly appreciate it. Now get out there and keep gaming.